You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CibeloCreek.com. Every Sunday, every single Sunday that I come to this platform, I immediately feel tension. This unsettling awareness that I have a message, this talk that I've prepared. And it's supposed to last about 35 to 40 minutes. And then I immediately become aware of the fact that every one of you in the room or online, you come into this room and you have a set of expectations for the message. And some of you, you come into this room and you're very curious You're curious about things about faith. You want to know more about like what does the Bible teach? You're, You're curious about like this whole spiritual journey thing. And so you come and you're looking for information. You're looking for answers to questions and you wanna you wanna deal with some some issues related to what you believe, and and you're very much like a student. And others of you, you come in here with expectations. You're not all that interested in information. You're interested in inspiration. You're looking for something to, you know, kind of a, 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 you're looking for like a pick-me-up, a shot in the arm, a kick in the butt. You're just looking for somebody to give you something that'll kind of like get you through the next week kind of get you all jacked up and excited about this thing, and then you'll come back next Sunday and you'll, you'll, you'll want some more. And then some of you, you're saying, honestly, Paul, I'm not here for information or inspiration. I'm here for some hope because what's going on in my life right now, my heart is breaking and life is hard. There's things going on in my marriage. I don't know that we're gonna make it. There's some things unfolding in the life of my teenager and I don't know how to navigate my way through it. I've got some things going on with my health that have me really scared. There's things happening at my work and I, I, need, I need some help. Like right here, right now, I need something that I can hang on to that will help me with what it is that I'm facing. And I just have the one message. And I happen to know that this message tracks along a particular line. This one's more about information. It's more intellectual in nature. But I think it's really, really important that all of us understand what it is that we're going to talk about today because there's a lot of misunderstanding there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of manipulation that happens in the discussion of faith around the topic that we're going to look at today and it ends up hurting people's lives spiritually and so today i'm going to try my best to make sense of it to my understanding of it and my, my hope is that by the time we get to the end of the message, it'll become very practical and very relevant to your life. 
Maybe not to the immediate situation that you're facing right now, but in the larger picture of your journey of following Jesus, that today will be helpful. Does that make sense? So I, I can just do the best with the one I got for today. So last week we started a new series called Ghost Stories. It's a, it's a look at the topic of the Holy Spirit as it occurs in the scriptures. Older translations sometimes render the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And there's a lot of mystery around this whole discussion. And so we're just trying to kind of get behind some of the mystery and, and understand the nature of the Holy Spirit and how he works in our life. Last week, we looked at um, the very first passage of scripture, really, in the Bible, where we are given some instruction, some explanation about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in a conversation with his disciples. He's talking about leaving. They're confused. They don't know what that means. He's talking about leaving, and the implication seems to suggest that he's leaving without them. And they're like, where are you going? You're the Messiah. We've been counting on you. And, and then he reassures them that he's not going to leave them alone. And then he begins to net out like the initial explanation of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our life. And so we learned these, these couple of things last week that the Holy Spirit is God. He's as much God as the Father as he's much as the Son. The Holy Spirit, by nature and character, he does everything that God does. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. That Jesus promised that when he leaves the Holy Spirit upon our faith in Christ, the Spirit of God actually comes and takes up residence inside of us. And he's always with you because he's always there inside of you. There's never anything that you're going to go through in life. There's never any place that you'll go in life that the Holy Spirit of God is not present with you to help you because that's what the Holy Spirit does is he, is he helps. The Holy Spirit helps you understand Jesus' instructions. So for us as 21st century disciples, as we read and study the Bible, we should not expect that in our own kind of human mind that we're going to understand the deep truths of God's word. Without the help of the Holy Spirit, he becomes a teacher and helps us understand what we're reading in our Bibles. And then he will remind you about the things that we've understood to be Jesus's instructions. So when you're at work, or you're at school, you're driving down the highway, you're in some other situation, and you don't have a Bible in front of you, and you're trying to figure out, like, what do I do right now as a Christian to reflect Jesus in this situation? The Holy Spirit is the one who goes, remember what we're working on? Humility, kindness, compassion. It's the Holy Spirit going, I want you to forgive. Oh, God, I don't want to forgive, but I want you to forgive because it goes better for your heart if you'll forgive. That's the work of the Holy Spirit as we begin to recognize his voice in our life. So today we're going to look at a second story. And I'll just tell you, it's perhaps one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. And we're going to try to make some sense of it. Now, here's the deal. If you've, if you've hung around church any length of time, or you've done any reading about spiritual journey, or if you have any friends who are like really committed Christians, 
you're going to hear language like this around the church. You're going to hear language like the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working in this place. And most of us go, I don't even know what that means. The filling of the Holy Spirit. That you as a Christian, you should expect to be filled by the Holy Spirit. And you're like, okay, I don't even know if I want that. That makes me a little uncomfortable. Or, or this one, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I, we don't know what it means, but it sounds pretty powerful, pretty awesome, pretty strange. And then the movement of the Holy Spirit. And we don't even want to play jokes with that. I mean, it's just like, what, what, what does this language even mean? And churches use it all the time. And most of the time they use it very inaccurately. And so it creates confusion and it creates frustration. Even to insiders, this kind of conversation can be very imprecise and very confusing. And then to outsiders, it's just awkward and suspicious. And people look at words like these, you know, non-Christians, people who don't hang out at church a lot, they, they look at this sort of stuff and they go, yep, see, it's true. You Christian, you're just weird. So... So let's look at a place in the scriptures where all those kinds of words seem to be at work. So if you have your Bible, come with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter two. Remember underneath your seat, you'll find these uh, cards. You're welcome to use them to take notes and we'll come back a little bit later in the service and make use of them very specifically. Okay, Acts chapter 2, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, the historical accounts of the life of Jesus as either reported by or witnessed by four authors. Jesus then resurrects from the dead. He ascends to his father in heaven. And then the book of Acts is a record of the early disciples as they took the message of the gospel in, into the world and all of the sort of interesting things that they found themselves doing. Okay, you ready? Okay, remember we decided last week we were going to just come from curious. So Acts chapter 2. This, this is the moment that the church was born. This whole thing, I'm not talking stained glass and steeples, pews and pulpit. I'm talking about like a community of faith. People connected to one another by virtue of a faith in Jesus Christ. The church was born. It's recorded right here in Acts chapter 2. Okay, ready? Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, okay, I'm going to read you the story as it occurs, and then we'll come back and unpack it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. Who's they? They were the disciples and probably an, a larger group of people who had become interested in Jesus and the whole topic of the resurrection. They were all together in one place, sort of like we are. All here together in just one place. And suddenly, suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind. Just the sound, not necessarily the evidence of, but just the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw, they saw what seemed to be, like this is their best explanation of it. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire 
that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them, all of them that were in this place, they were, here it is, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each, okay, listen, this is very important. You ready? Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Like they would know the language of Galilee. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? And then list all of these different regions represented by the crowd. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language, our own tongue. (laughs) Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What in the world's going on here? Like, what does this mean? And then, as you might imagine, some, however, they made fun of them because humor is often a way that we create a defense. And they said, these boys have just had too much wine. They're drunk. Then Peter, one of the disciples, Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only only nine in the morning. Well, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? It's nine o'clock right now. It's nine o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. See, they're not drunk. Listen, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years earlier, a prophet named Joel spoke about something like this happening. And he said this, that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit. Okay? You got the story so far? Okay, now we're gonna make a leap in the passage because Peter gets... Peter gets all riled up and he delivers this amazing sermon to all of these curious people. Now come on over to verse 37. Okay, so basically what Peter's message was about was about Jesus who they had crucified and who he really was. So verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Meaning they've just now realized that they crucified the Messiah of Israel. What do we do? And Peter said, here's what I want you to do. Repent 
Admit that what you did was wrong. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off from all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, man, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those, listen, those who accepted his message, they were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So the very first day that there was a a church family, there was 3,000 of them. And then one of the classic passages of scripture has been at the heartbeat of this church for 25 years. Here's what they did. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers, they were together and they had everything in common. In fact, they were selling possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their home. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to faith in Christ. You got it? Okay. Suddenly there was a sound like a blowing of a violent wind. Makes it sound like they could hear the wind, but their hair wasn't moving. No clothes were flapping. They could just hear the sound of the wind, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and then came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. Hang on to that because we'll come back and explain what that is as the Spirit enabled them. Got it? Come on, let's be honest. If that sort of thing happened in this room right now, there'd be pandemonium. (laughs) I mean, there'd be yelling and screaming and you guys would be tossing chairs aside as you race to get out of this room, out the exits. You'd be off running off to get your kids out of Kids Creek and you'd be in your car in a minute or flat and you'd be squealing tires out of the parking lot and you go, we're never coming back to that church again because that place is weird. Safety services would be pulling fire alarms and there'd be water spraying all over the place. It would be crazy in the house if that sort of thing happened in this room and we know it, don't we? You know why? Because we're Americans. (laughs) And we're kind of middle to upper upper class professionals. And you know what that means? That means we like order. We like plan. We like purpose. We like a sense of control. We don't like anything out of the ordinary, anything out of control. We don't, we don't like that. We, we sort of want it all a certain way, and it doesn't sound like any of that was to be the way that we'd want it. And some of you, you'd never come back to this church if something like that happened. 
And some of you trying to describe to your friends and family, oh my gosh, we were at Sybil Creek last Sunday and there's this sound of like this violently rushing wind. And all of a sudden there was like these little flames of fire coming down, sitting on everybody's head. And they started babbling, talking about language. And we're like, it was so weird. It was so strange. I, I, like that, I, I don't have any space for that. That's what it would be like, wouldn't it? We would not be comfortable with that. But notice in the passage, that's not what happened. There wasn't pandemonium. In fact, people were curiously drawn to what was happening. There was some sort of enough order that people were like, what is that sound? Wait, what what are we, what what, what are we hearing? There was a curiosity about it. Even the critics, the cynics in the crowd who thought, well, maybe they're just drunk. They were curious about it. There was something more compelling about what happened in Acts 2 than something chaotic. So let's try to figure out what's going on there and what we should expect and what we should understand. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. At least here for a few minutes, don't read this as chaos. Don't read this as chaos. Just simply read this as unusual, hard to explain, unfamiliar. Read this as supernatural. That when the Holy Spirit of God is at work, supernatural kinds of things can happen. Things that are hard to explain and unfamiliar and unusual, but they're just different. Notice the fact that the passage talks about speaking in tongues. Oh boy. If there has been any confusion in the church, it's around the topic of speaking in tongues. But how does it happen in this passage? The Galileans, the disciples... They would have known the language of their region. Yet Jerusalem is populated by all of these people from all different places in the larger region and areas. In fact, the passage says as far from Rome, they had come there for the Passover. So all these different dialects, all these different accents, all these different vocabularies, all these different languages, and the disciples, they were able to speak in a language that every other person in the room could understand. It wasn't some heavenly babbling kind of thing where it was just creating confusion. No, what was happening was people in the audience who did not speak the local language were saying, wait a second, I can hear and understand what they're teaching us about Jesus. That's a very, very important clarification. So let's let's talk a little bit about miracle signs and wonders. Miracle signs and wonders. So, oh, sorry. Miracles, signs, and wonders, which we read about in the Bible and occur in this passage, are essentially interchangeable terms. Their distinctions are subtle and highly nuanced at best. I mean, the difference between a miracle and a sign and a wonder, I'm not saying there isn't any difference. It's just it's so subtle that they're essentially talking about these supernatural, hard to explain, unusual experiences. Signs and wonders are just different ways of talking about miracles. And here's the impression in a lot of people in their understanding of the Bible 
is that miracles happened all the time and should be happening today. And that anybody and everybody in the Bible seemed to be acquainted with miracles and maybe even capable of doing miracles. But you know what? That's really not the truth. In fact, if you do an honest study of the Bible, what we find is that miracles only occurred in certain eras of time and they were performed only by certain people. So if you take the long arc of history from the time of creation all the way to the current time in which we live, what you'll find is that dotted on the, on the timeline, there's a, a place in time that miracles seem to occur. And then there's long stretches, generations of time where nothing miraculous happens. And then there's another period of time where it seems like there's a lot of miracles being recorded in the pages of the scripture and then another period of silence or without miracles and and you know what there's a pattern to it there's a pattern to it It just doesn't happen randomly and here's the pattern miracles only occur in certain areas with certain people throughout the bible and it's almost always around this group of people moses a lot of miracles centered around his lifespan and him personally. He was equipped by God to do some supernatural things on behalf of the nation of Israel. Then we see in the latter parts of the Old Testament, the prophets. The prophets seem to have a capability of doing miraculous kinds of things. And a lot of other people didn't. And then naturally, as you might imagine, there was a big, big like kind of heat map of miracles that happened around Jesus. He performed a lot of miracles. And then we see some of the miracles being done by the early apostles, Peter and Paul and some of the other early leaders of the church. And then guess what? They stop. You'd be hard pressed to find evidence of a miracle beyond the book of Acts. So you got Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. No miracles. They seem to be focused on a certain intention that God was using them for. And, And here's what it is. The pattern in the area of miracles is one, to authenticate something that somebody was saying and to authenticate the person who was saying them. You see, God was revealing new things to the nation of Israel through Moses. So God gave him the capacity to do miracles to authenticate what he was trying to tell the nation of Israel about following him as God's ambassador. The same with the prophets. The prophets are declaring a message to the nation of Israel and they had the ability to do miracles so that the nation of Israel would listen to what they had to say. Jesus comes as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He performs miracles to demonstrate his message that he is God come to earth. And then the apostles are doing what? They're delivering the message of the gospel to a world that didn't understand it. They were able to do miracles as a way of authenticating what it is that they had to say. Does that make sense? Okay, so look just this in the book of Acts. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by who? The apostles. 
It's not like miracles were just happening everywhere or everyone. It was the apostles who were doing the miracle. We see again in Acts chapter 5, the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. It was the apostles who were doing this. Here's, I mean, this might be a wake-up call for someone. Had you and I lived during the time of the events of the Bible were being recorded, it is highly unlikely that we would have witnessed the miracle, let alone performed one. So, it brings us to this big theological question. It's the kind of question that people in seminary kick around for far too long. And you might say, yeah, see, Paul, I'm not interested in some big theological question. I'm trying to raise a four-year-old and keep him from eating his boogers. Can you help me with that? (laughs) Paul, I got a teenager in my house and he hates me. Can you help me with that? I think I can help you with that. But we have to understand the nature of the Holy Spirit. So here's a big question. You ready? You, you still in a good mood? Okay. Here's a big question. Is Acts chapter 2 descriptive or prescriptive? You go, I don't even know what that means. So let me explain it to you. Is Acts chapter 2 that we just read, is it describing what happened on that day back in Jerusalem when these, moment, when these events occurred? It's just describing. It's like, hey, here's what we saw. Here's what we heard. Here's what we experienced. This, this is a description of what happened when the Holy Spirit of God came and filled those early believers to start the church. Or is it prescriptive, meaning this is how we should anticipate the Holy Spirit always working throughout all time and all places? Should we be coming to church and expecting really odd and unusual things happening every Sunday as a proof that the Holy Spirit is real and that he's at work in our church? Because here's the deal. There are some people who believe that Acts chapter 2 was prescriptive. And their expectation is that odd and unusual things should happen as a proof that the Holy Spirit's at work in a church or in our life. And then they're quick, they're quick to assume that if it's not happening at your church or if it's not happening in your life, that evidently you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit's not at work in your church. And a lot of people hang their heads and think, I guess I'm a loser. I guess I'm not doing this right. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think there's another way to understand Acts chapter 2. It's descriptive of the nature of the Holy Spirit and he works when he's doing something brand new and introducing a message that no one's ever heard before. And that's not us. That's not the time in which we live. So... Here's what was happening is they're making this enormous transition. For centuries, they've been talking about the Mosaic law. That's all the Jews knew about how to relate to God is I have to obey the law. And then Jesus comes along and he he introduces the message of his death, his burial, and his resurrection as the way that a person relates to God. And the, the early disciples are now proclaiming a gospel, not a law. It's a brand new message that no one had ever heard before. 
And so the apostles were able to do miracles to authenticate the message and them as messengers of God. And then there's this whole new thing called the church. That's what the book of Acts is about, is people who had only known really a religious experience in the context of the nation of Israel. Now we're being invited to this thing called the church where Jews and Gentiles are going to live in harmony with each other. These people who had formerly hated one another, they're now going to live in harmony because the body of Christ was going to prevail through a people of faith. And this was all brand new. They're hearing it for the first time. God's up to something new. That's why we read what happened in Acts chapter two. And we have to understand and embrace that our place in history is very different than those who lived in the first century. And here's some of the differences. We have a Bible that's providing us a revelation from God. You have to keep in mind that in the first century, Acts chapter two, when that was happening, there wasn't one of these things. At best of what they had was the oral tradition of what they remembered Jesus saying and doing. But now we have these letters, these documents, these records that are inspired by God as a way to guide our faith. We, we have a church offering us a context for the work of God. We have a context that we can go, oh, okay, I understand now that my place is within a family of believers who help encourage and guide me in my faith. This is not new information to us. They didn't have a, uh, a church on every street corner in Jerusalem. We do. We have our options to choose a family that connects with where we tend to land when it comes to our understanding of the Bible. We have a history establishing the framework of our faith. 2,000 years of people understanding and growing in their understanding and passing on a growing understanding of faith. And we all benefit from that. They didn't have that in the first century. And finally, we have these spiritual gifts, which are a work or expression of the Holy Spirit to enable us for ministry. And that was all brand new to them. They were just discovering that. Now, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit has all the freedom of God to do exactly what he wants when he wants to do it, but to expect that Acts chapter two has to be replicated in our midst, I don't think is a fair expectation. It'll just leave you frustrated and disappointed. So here's what I wanna leave us with. For Civil Oak Creek, I, I just get to pastor the one church. You don't have to agree with me. You, you can have different thoughts about this, different interpretations and understanding of the scriptures than I do. That's fine. I just, I'm just giving you my best take on it. Does that make sense? Okay, so listen. Rather than us being frustrated and confused feeling like we need to be manipulated into some sort of experience that doesn't necessarily fit our understanding of scripture? What if we just start to expect that the Holy Spirit does the things that only the Holy Spirit can do? 
that we don't have to manufacture or program something to happen. We don't have to expect people hanging from the chandeliers or babbling in languages that nobody understands or doing miraculous things that just leave people feeling really, really uncomfortable. What, what, if, we just, what if we just looked for the evidence of the Holy Spirit in some ways that the scriptures affirms that the Holy Spirit works best? And here they are. What if we just start there? That we look forward to and we engage with what the Holy Spirit might be doing in our midst with eyes peeled out for conversions. Hardened sinners coming to a place of humble repentance and admitting that they need a savior, Jesus Christ, and he died on the cross for them. And they now, for the first time, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, their eyes have been opened, their ears have been opened, and they've understood the gospel as being for them. And then we watch the Holy Spirit of God in the conversion process transform their lives from stingy people to generous people, from selfish people to compassionate people, from angry, hateful people to loving and kind people. What if that's a work that we look forward to as a church of proof of the Holy Spirit working in our midst? Conversion. Some of you, I know this personally. I feel this for you. Some of you, you're married to someone who's not the least bit interested in this church. In fact, they kind of resent the fact that you get up every Sunday morning and you come here. And they're a little weary of you even bringing your children along with them because they're, they're children too. And you're, they're just a little hesitant about what their kids might be getting when they come to Sybil Creek. And what if... What if we were a congregation that was so compelled by the belief that the Spirit of God can do amazing things in a man or a woman's heart that we pray for our spouses or our teenager or our aunt or our uncle or our grandparent or our parent who is opposed to the message of Jesus and we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would do a work in their heart and draw them to himself. That is a miracle. Because there isn't anything that we can do to manufacture it. That is the true work of God's spirit in the heart of a human being. How about this one? Boldness. The evidence of the Holy Spirit in the early disciples was they went from a room of scared, hiding young men, afraid that they were gonna be crucified like Jesus was, and they go out and they preach to literally tens of thousands of people while being stoned and persecuted and thrown in prison, and they stand up for the gospel, and they speak the truth of Jesus Christ in the midst of all sorts of opposition. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, we are now living in an era when everything about our faith in Jesus Christ is being squashed and it will be the work of the Holy Spirit of God in the church that some of you stand up for your faith and give a clear witness of Jesus Christ to your friends and your family and your work associates by not being embarrassed or shy for what you believe to be the truth. And that will only be the work of the Spirit who can create that kind of boldness in us and a whole generation of people who just want to be popular with those who oppose everything that God is about. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And finally, what about 
ministry. Or maybe I should have put serving because that's the work of the Holy Spirit to humble a human heart and say, I am willing to give up my time, my energy, my comfort, and my convenience so that I can serve others like Jesus served others. And I will not just serve once and now, here and there. I will serve every week, every time I have an opportunity. I will find a group of fourth grade boys in a kid's ministry, and I will follow them all the way till they graduate from high school. And I will serve them as a minister in their life. I'll take my gifts, my passions, my skills, and I will serve this church or this community in a way that glorifies God faithfully, not hit and miss here and there when it's comfortable and convenient for me only the Holy Spirit of God can bring about that kind of priority and that kind of passion in the human heart. So I leave you with this. The single most convincing proof of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a Christ follower is how much they reflect Jesus in their character and their conduct. They may never speak in a language that they don't understand. They may never heal a body that's sick. They may never do anything that might be characterized as a sign or a wonder, but if they demonstrate a reflection of Jesus in their character and their conduct, then that's proof enough for me that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in their midst. And imagine a church full of people whose character and conduct is being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. There would be no stopping us We'd come in here and worship down to our toes because the spirit of God is at work in our lives and through our lives. And that, I think, is a church that God had in mind for the day and age in which we live. Make sense? Thanks for listening.